Scene 6. Hand Crank Redemption. Templar Priory, town of Rochester, Wodensday Compline, night, 19th of April, 1284. Feast of the Saint Althea, Bishop and Martyr. The security has been much tighter than anything he could have imagined. Templar sergeants follow a tight schedule, keeping watch over every imaginable corner of the vaults. The corners inside the latrines happily escape their imaginations. After the Templars locked it all up for the night, and after having stewed in feces all day, the dark elf codenamed Whoopi cautiously creeps out of the cesspit and washes his hands and face off with the pitcher and basin provided for the privy. Monks were some of the cleanest people in the Middle Ages, and washing their hands and face regularly was required by their rules. Now he begins the impossible task of trying to locate the vault that might contain this black flame sword. Benjamin Franklin has been so tight-lipped about the whole operation that Whoopi would not even recognize the sword if he tripped over it. Still, he is a professional and knows his business well. He looks around, memorizing every detail of the walls, the doors, and the layout of the vault. He paces the hallways and scans for potential access points, making a mental note of one spot ideal for an escape tunnel. With impeccable timing, a small section of that very section of wall starts making a harsh grinding noise. The wall starts to shake and then crumble until a six-inch bore bit pokes its way through. It retracts, leaving a cloud of powdery dust and a small tunnel just big enough to fit his fist into. A voice calls through the hole. Whoopee! Still miffed about the cesspit, the dark elf calls back. I'm glad you're having fun, Benny. I spent the day crouching in poo. You humans always make us dark elves do the dirty work. The hole is too long and narrow for them to see each other, but it carries the echoes of their voices well. Benjamin Franklin says, You can take it up with the complaints department. Right now I need to know if you've figured out which vault has the sword. The dark elf hears movement. Something black and furry skits around the corner. Benjamin Franklin calls out, but the dark elf hushes him. Shh! Benjamin Franklin calls out again. What is it? I thought I saw a kitty cat. I'm going to go check it out. Whoopi sneaks over and peers around the corner. He sees a big bushy mop of curly blonde hair on a girl with furry black boots locked behind some bars. She seems to be asleep. He tiptoes back to the hole and says, It's a little girl with curly blonde hair. Ariel's voice comes piping through the hole. Goldilocks, you found the cat burglar we need. Benjamin Franklin says, Listen, this girl knows where the sword is. We need to cut a deal. Can you get her over to this hole to negotiate? She's locked in a cage with iron bars. Use the wire I gave you. It's made by the Acme Dwarves. It should cut through iron fairly easily. Don't worry, I got this. The Dark Elf goes back and asks in English, Hey you, Goldilocks, you awake? No response. She must be really tired because she doesn't look at all that comfortable the way she is sleeping. He looks around and sees a tin plate with leftover corn and lima beans on it. He reaches in and bangs the plate against the bars and it makes a racket. The girl is not happy to be woken up and she moans. When her eyes focus in on his dark face, she instinctively addresses him in Drowish, the language she spoke with her mother. Pepe Le Pew! It smells like you spent the day in a cesspit! A huge smile broadens across his face as he realizes the blonde, curly hair hides a young, cute, aristocratic, dark elf lady. He loosens up and reaches out a hand and replies in Drowish, I did, sister. I'm a dark elf too, and I'm here to rescue you. Give me some skin. She whips him with her chains so hard it hurts. Suffering succotash! What was that about? She warns him sternly. No touchy. 
There's one rule when talking to princesses, and it's no touchy. You're a princess? Technically, yes. My mother was a dark elf commodore. If you know anything about sea elves, you'd know that makes me a princess. Whoopi applies the charm. Indeed it does, princess. Indeed it does. So then, how did a gorgeous princess like yourself end up in a nasty cage like this? I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. Trying to make friendly with her, he chatters away in Drowish. Well, you see, I'm a member of the Duquesne Magicolters Guild, named Magicolter of the Month last December. Anyhow, I'm with this cool group of adventurers who want to crack a vault that's got a dark flaming sword inside it. The chubby human peeping through the hole back there wants to talk. If you haven't noticed, I'm behind bars. That's the nice thing about magic. Locks, bars, traps, guards, no big deal. He takes out his magicka wand and sings the magic word. Poison. Nothing happens. The princess wrinkles her lips and says, Very impressive, magic altar of the month. Whoopi chuckles. Obviously it's warded. No big deal. As they said in magic classes, your magicka wand is only the first of many tools it takes to be a great magic altar. Check this out. This is a wire that can cut through iron bars. If you agree to hear the human out, I'll cut you out of that cage. Deal, sister? Fine, but I'm not your sister. Now cut this lock. Aye, aye, your highness. He files furiously back and forth at the lock with the acme wire. Once he has cut through most of the lock, she leans back and gives the cage door a tremendous kick. The door slams into Whoopi and knocks him off his feet with a loud, Ouch! That hurt! She walks past him without offering to help him back onto his feet and finds the hole on her own. She calls down through and drillish. So what's the deal? Unruffled, Whoopi gets himself up and shouts past her to his friends. So your human Goldilocks girl is actually a beautiful drowish princess. Benjamin Franklin replies in English and Whoopi translates his words into drowish. Princess, we are honored to make your acquaintance. I am a Franklin to a very important personage in Vinland and it has come to the attention of my patron that you are seeking the sword of Laban. The dark elf princess snaps back. I didn't come all the way out here to get the sword for you. Oh, agreed, said Benjamin Franklin. When I get into a bind like this, I like to find a solution that is, shall we say, a win for both of us. The princess folds her arms and says, Before we begin, tell me how this is all supposed to end up as a win-win scenario. Other than my leftover succotash, I don't have anything to offer you except the sword, and that's the one thing I'm not willing to negotiate about. I'm not seeing a win here. Whoopi relays her concerns to Benjamin Franklin, who continues. Well, you see, I did some reading up on the Sword of Laban, and apparently it means a lot to the Ammonite Christians. A group of them are here in Rochester, and they are willing to help you. The only price they are asking is that you'll listen emphatically to what they have to say. Fine, get me out of here. Whoopi tells her, Good, now step back a bit. Why? This is going to be loud and messy. Before Whoopi gets her to stand back, the stones of the wall crumble and disintegrate. A tunnel opens all the way out of the Templar vault. It's a long and uncomfortably narrow passageway, just wide enough for a skinny elf to wiggle through like a worm. The rocks inside are still crumbling. The princess orders Whoopi. You first. Whoopi isn't even paying attention. He's upset. He sticks his head through the hole, shouting to his fellow adventurers. Where was the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom! Slithering through the tunnel is twice as awful as it sounds, and doesn't help the princess's sour mood any. 
Once she gets through to the other end, she sees a jovial Benjamin Franklin dressed in plain medieval civilian clothes, the broad-shouldered, half-goblin, half-dwarf Monsignor Oscar Meyer wearing his clerical robe, Ariel, who has dyed her hair red and stuffed some wool fleece around her gums to change her facial features, and the white-haired Willis, now back in his suit of reinforced mail armor, singling him out as a fighter-class adventurer. Benjamin Franklin smiles proudly. You've heard of elf fire, right? Imagine what happens to solid stone when you heat it with elf fire, then quickly freeze it with black flame. Impressive, isn't it? Around them stand four figures in simple white robes, two women and two men. Their faces are austere, but gentle. An older woman introduces herself using the mystical gift of tongues so all can understand each other despite the language barriers. I am Sister Elmira, and this is my associate, Sister Penelope. We think you ought to know the truth about Jesus Christ. Unholy Knights Goldilocks snaps back. Oh, don't worry. I already know all about him. Can we move on to discussing why you are going to give me the Sword of Laban? Or should I just start running now? Sister Elmira's gift of tongues is powerful enough that all present hear Goldilocks' drowish words in their own native language. Benjamin Franklin replies to her in English, but she hears his words in drowish. The deal was for us to break you out in exchange for empathetic listening. You're just assuming that you already know what they're going to say. Give them time to explain, and we can find a solution where we all win. Benjamin Franklin bows to Sister Elmira and yields the spotlight, or, in this case, the moonlight, to her. Sister Elmira resumes speaking. No worries, my dear. Let's talk about what matters most to you right now, the Sword of Laban. It is significant to Ammonite Christians because without it, the true faith would never have come to Vinland. Laban had it forged as a weapon capable of great evil, but God has used it by his command to accomplish a greater good. We are a peaceful people, and we are not here for the sword itself, but our prophet believes God has a plan to use it to lead us to a treasure without price. What makes you think I know anything about this treasure you are seeking? Pure faith. A certain prophet, seer, and revelator foretold evil on a scale that would make the Thieves' Guild look like a gathering of modern-day saints, unless we follow this path. The sword of Laban is worthless to us, but we believe its bearer will save Vinland. The blonde-haired, dark-elf princess looks at her intently. So you're saying you would agree to let me have the sword of Laban because of some prophecy, but I have a hunch this guy over here wants it too. Benjamin Franklin puts a hand on her shoulders, but she snaps. No touchy! Rule number one with princesses, no touchy! Franklin backs off and says, You're right, princess. All I'm saying is that we agreed to some empathetic listening. You keep assuming you already know what we're going to say. Do you know a way to get the sword out of that vault? Because if you do, by all means, go ahead. It's all yours. No, I don't know how to get it out. He continues. You know which vault it's in, but you don't know how to get it out. We have a plan to get it out, but we don't know which vault it's in. Let's figure out our differences before the Templars find us. Sister Elmira says, This is going to take some trust. All of us here, including Mr. Franklin here, fear the evil of the Sword of Laban. But if we give it to you, you must promise to lead us to the bronze plates that contain the law of God. Only by learning and obeying the law of God can we hope to keep this nation from dwindling and perishing in unbelief. 
The power of the black flame is enough to engulf this entire continent from sea to shining sea in war, strife, and sin. But our prophet has told us that though you seek it for the evil powers it will grant you, you will eventually turn from your evil ways. The princess crosses her arms and states, So let me get this straight. You know I am going to use this sword for evil, but you are going to help me get it anyway, because your prophet says that I'll eventually lead you to some kind of bronze plates. Yes, it's the only way. The dark elf princess suddenly becomes apologetic. So let's just say hypothetically that I have no idea where these bronze plates are. Do I still get to keep the sword? Hypothetically speaking, of course. Sister Elmira replies with great patience and kindness in her eyes. We know that you are ignorant of the bronze plates right now, but we firmly believe in God's plan that you will lead us to those plates one way or another. She turns to Benjamin Franklin and asks, Okay, but it kind of sounds like a stretch to me. Is that what you believe too, Mr. Franklin? Benjamin Franklin smiles cheerfully. Nope. Not at all. I work by reason, not by faith. Let's just say when it comes to the battle between good and evil, I steer the middle course and keep neutral about it all. Goldilocks groans. I've heard that line before. Franklin continues. The reason I invited the Ammonites here is they have preserved in their oral traditions important information about how the sword works. Getting the sword to work is key to our plans for getting it out. The sword of Laban has the power to billow out freezing black flame, even in small, confined spaces without fresh air. All we have to do is ignite the black flame inside its vault, and it will freeze-burn the vault. Once the metal has frozen, though, we'll heat it with elf fire. The alternation will make it brittle enough to shatter it, as easily as if it were made out of glass. If you agree to turn over the sword of Laban to us so we can complete our quest with it, we'll give it back to you when we're done with it. She squints with suspicion in her eyes. And how long is that going to take? A few days, perhaps. A few weeks at most. Once we complete our quest, we won't need the sword anymore. It'll be all yours. Win-win scenario. How am I going to know you'll keep your end of the bargain? You could just keep telling me. We need one more week. And before you know it, years go by. Benjamin Franklin cuts to the chase. Think of it this way. You get your hands on the sword first, so we're the ones taking the biggest leap of faith in trusting you. If you don't trust us, you're welcome to go back and take your chances with the Inquisition. So why are you taking a leap of faith with me? You just said you work by reason and not by faith. That's my ideal. As a realist, I accept the fact that 90% of our decisions are based more on faith in someone or something than hard facts or rational explanations. That's just the way life goes. So let's fit this deal into the 10% that makes perfect sense to our reason. No, the other 10% is pure emotion. The princess thinks for a while. Fine. What are the magic words to make the Sword of Laban work? Sister Elmira says, They are not magic words at all, but rather a dark incantation for an unholy ritual, words that bring great evil upon those who speak them. Consider well before you... Goldilocks interrupts. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Just tell me the words and let's get this over with. By the power of Laban, I have the power. Goldilocks shrivels. That's kind of dorky. Willis cuts her off. Don't knock it. For some people it's really cool. Maybe it's a guy thing. Benjamin Franklin resumes. You and Whoopi are the only ones who can fit through the tunnel. He'll bring the elf fire. All you have to do is put your hand in the safe box holding the sword of Laban and recite the ritual words. After he heats it with elf fire, just keep tapping at it and it'll break. What if I had a hammer and I'm hammering until morning? I wouldn't hear the Templars coming back. 
Don't worry, we've got a hammer of our own. We'll hammer out a warning if there is danger around. Once you break through, stop the sword from flaming by calling out, Let the power return. Be careful, it'll be extremely cold in there. Goldilocks thinks for a moment. Despite all her misgivings, she runs out of objections. This Franklin has answers to everything. She says, I don't like it, but whatever, I'm going to go with it. You have a deal. Splendid, exclaims Benjamin Franklin. Let's shake on it. Tut-tut, no touchy. She points to herself and reminds them. Princess, no touchy. They all look at her silently. She remembers she once heard a preacher say that the path to evil starts from whatever. With those words still ringing in her ears, she intentionally chooses to brush aside all the warnings of her conscience. Whatever. Then she shakes hands with the devil.